nobody wants to be boring. And in business, boring does not pay off. Actually, it's being unconventional. And we're going to discuss eight unconventional things that we've done in business that has rapidly unlocked growth for us. So businesses only survive if they grow. Um, sometimes you're lucky enough to just hit an absolute winner. You don't have to think about it and you're just rushing to keep up with demand and has its own challenges, but it's overall a great situation to be in. But a lot more people are in the situation of trying to grow their business or sometimes painfully trying and trying all the same things that other people do. And they seem to work for those other people, but they're not working for them. We've tried some of those things that are supposed to work for other people as well, but we've had far more success doing things that are a bit unusual and even seem counterintuitive, like it should harm the business, not actually grow it. We've got eight of those that we've come up with. So let's go through them, not because we expect anyone to copy them, because that probably wouldn't work either, but just to give an idea of the type of thinking that you can use when coming up with these unconventional ideas. Yeah, and maybe not copy, but do your own version of yeah. it. So that's that's something that people will be able to take away from this is that they can do their own version of what we do, or at least some of them, maybe not all eight, but some of them and inspire you to do stuff that isn't even on this list, but it's just got you thinking, hopefully. So the first thing that we did that was unconventional is start a podcast. And that might not seem that unconventional now, but when we started the podcast, it was unconventional. Podcasts weren't much of a thing. There was kind of one commercial related property podcast but nothing on property investments and we were the first to to do it yeah and i think there's also the way we did it so we cho- we picked a channel that no one else was doing and then the way we executed it wasn't in the typical way like we didn't have the name of the company in the name of the podcast didn't really mention the barely mentioned the company in the podcast at all yeah it's true but it still worked it still grew the audience and by because we didn't, we weren't plugging stuff all the time. It meant that it was all about the content, and it was something that wasn't out there otherwise. And so it built a far, far bigger audience than you'd be able to using any other channel. And people who are so much more engaged, because you could have ten thousand people listening to a podcast or ten thousand people looking at an advert on Facebook. They are not the same thing. It's the no. same number, but it's completely different. It's completely different, and the impact of the podcast cannot be understated. In fact, without the podcast, I don't think we'd be anywhere near as far on as we are today. Maybe we would have found another avenue. Maybe we would have found another channel that would have taken us to the place that we have. But it's by building that community that has allowed us to do so many things. Try businesses that have worked and try businesses that haven't worked. But because we were in that fortunate position where we built such a big community that we were able to get away with it. So it's the podcast and then the spill-off of that, the community as well, which is really, really benefits us. So the first one is a podcast. You can, your own version of this could be, you could start a podcast. Now, I know they're not that unconventional anymore, but where you can do a version of podcasting is you can niche down. So if you're into fitness, you can do, I think I've referenced this example on a past podcast before, but I think it works as a good example. There's loads of fitness podcasts. There's loads of fitness um, sort of nutrition-related podcasts. All the big topics are clearly covered. But if you had, for example, a fitness podcast for CEOs, then that's super niche. Made sure that you got it in front of CEOs. You know, send you get a list of CEOs. Go on LinkedIn, send them the podcast. You know, get them listening. Now, I'd listen to that podcast because energy to a CEO is huge. Like we talk about health all the time not because we're health nuts because we want the best energy 
to be able to be our optimal selves for, for what we do. So if you had a podcast like that, that's very niche and your audience might not be huge, but that's also probably going to be a reasonably wealthy audience as well. So you can productize to that audience eventually and, and do quite well. Now, there's going to be a million other examples that you could do niching down into a podcast. That's just one. But podcasting is one way you can do it, but you're not limited to just podcasting. There are other unconventional content creation things you can do. Yeah, if you look at the, the underlying reason that it works is that we were giving valuable information to people who could be potential customers of our business and we were earning their attention. It's not kind of like popping up in front of them and going, hi, oh, we are. It's like they wanted to listen to it and so they did. So a podcast... I think it's a brilliant way of doing it because you do have someone's undivided attention for a long period of time. But it could be anything. There are so many channels out there. It could be Instagram, it could be YouTube, it could be LinkedIn, it could be something else entirely. But the underlying point is it's about earning those people's attention and keeping that attention over time because they might not be ready to be a customer on day one. They might not even know that there is something like this. They don't, they don't know they need it, but eventually they will. So it's about earning that attention and maintaining it for a long period of time. Any channel that does that work for us, it's likely to work for someone else. Yeah, and you've nicely led me on to the second thing on our list, which is giving our information away, our valuable information, as you put it, for free. So a lot of people are quite nervous about giving away their knowledge, their content, because they want to maybe give you a little bit, but then go, well, come and use my services and learn the rest. So I'll go back to my uh, fitness instructor who's, who's pitching to CEOs, that person could go, well, here's some things you could do, but if you want to hear them all, come and work with me. That probably isn't going to be as effective as saying, here's everything you can do. I'm going to tell you everything I know, but if you want to work with me, I'm here. Like that person wins the latter one, even though it seems unconventional that you're giving away all your trade secrets, if you like, all that knowledge that you've earned. Because the, the reason why this works is if somebody wants to do it on their own, or wants to do it in the cheapest way possible. They were never going to be your customer anyway. But there'll be other people who listen to what you put out there. This is exactly what we've done. You go, you know what? That sounds fantastic. Can you help me do it? And we've built businesses off the back of those people who want the help. Totally. Even if your business is selling the how to do it, like with ours, it's very different. It's like, we'll give you all the information. Then if you want someone to do it for you, then we can do it. But even if your business is like giving away the information, these days, information wants to be free. Like the, the standard of information you need to put out in order to actually appear on people's radars is getting higher and higher and higher. So if it is just like, oh, well, here are these three things, but for the really good stuff, you have to come and pay me. No one's going to see those first three things because it's not going to be good enough. So you need to give it all away, but that's fine because if you're looking for, if you are a serious person who's looking for someone to work with, you want to go to the person who's already demonstrated that they know their stuff. If I was looking for a personal trainer or something like that, I'd look for the person who had the blog or the podcast about it or whatever. And then even if I could read for hours and hours and hours, I'd still want someone to stand next to me and go, no, do this. And I'd want that person who showed that they knew it. It's unbelievable how well this works. And I think it's becoming less of an oddity over time. More and more people are catching on to this. But still, I think a lot of people have this impulse to hold back and you can't do that anymore. No, you can't. And I'm trying to think in my head, like what even in the most mundane products, how could this play out? Like if you sold shovels, like you could be like, here's how you do the best version of shoveling. If you wanted to create your own shovel, here's how you could create it. 
here's how you can make a cheap shovel better. But then other people go, that's all good, but I want the best shovel. And if that's you, then I want you. If the people who wanted the cheap shovel and somehow you do tie a bow on it and it makes it brilliant, I don't know, I, I don't do much <laughs> shoveling, but whatever makes a good shovel, share it. And all the techniques about using that product, again, just give all your knowledge away. I know it's really boring and mundane, but people are searching these things. People search on every subject, no matter how niche. And they're looking for reviews, they're looking for information. You know, be honest about your main competitor. You know, that's an, you could do that. If you have a clear competitor, you could do a versus. But don't do all plus points and no negatives on your side. Be honest and go, here are some negatives. That sounds a bit scary, but do it. Like that honesty will actually get you more customers. So it's quite easy to replicate this unconventional thing. It just can seem scary to do it. We've already touched on this next one a little bit in passing, but it's well worth making it explicit because it's so powerful, which is we chose a niche business. On the podcast and everything else we're doing, we're sort of giving away information quite broadly, but the actual service that we offered is only relevant for a small subset of people. Most people who want to invest in property would not find our service appropriate for them. Yeah, definitely. And that at first seems like a strange thing to do because like, well you've got this really big broad audience so surely you should try to appeal to all of them but in fact it's impossible to do that well you can't say oh well we source every type of property everywhere in the country so whatever you want come to us because for a start you can't actually deliver that service but even if you can you'd have no credibility the fact that you could actually do it no one's going to believe that you could do it even if you were some kind of super genius and I think the best customers want something that feels like it's bespoke for them anyway. Definitely. Going back to your example again, like if you are the CEO and you want um, a personal trainer, you want the trainer for, CEO, for CEOs. That's yeah. what you want. You don't if want they the specialize in my world and it's like, wow, this is the perfect match. I don't want the generalist. I want this person. Yeah. Exactly. And so it feels like by doing a niche service offering, not just niche marketing, but niche service offering, it feels like you're cutting yourself off and you are, but that means that you can serve brilliantly the people who are right. And that means that those people will come back and be repeat purchases. And it's so much easier to do that than it is to keep on attracting new people in all the time. Next on our list, this is really unconventional. We started a print magazine. We didn't start this 30 years ago, uh, you know, when print was a thing and, be, and beyond. We've started that what, about six, seven years ago when clearly print was dying. Print has been going one way and it's not been going a good way. So it's, it's been struggling. So why on earth did we start a print magazine? Why did we start a print magazine? Well, I'll tell you if you, if you can't remember. Well, I don't know if this is the reason, but this has been a good reason to come of it. I think actually because it was struggling, we saw an opportunity because so many people had given up on that sector. And also it's allowed with us to communicate pe with people on a, another depth, another level that some of the other mediums that we use, like YouTube or even podcasting, can't get to. It allows us to communicate in a different way. So we have a lot to say on a lot of different subjects, but it's an additional way of delivering that. And it's also, and I don't know if we knew this at the beginning, giving us a lot of credibility. Because if you say, oh, well, you know, you say you're an author and we say we run a print magazine, it's, it, it immediately gives some credibility. You could argue that it shouldn't, but it does. And it's also been a great business card. 
So when you go to a meeting, you can give a, a business card over. But if you give a magazine over that's of good quality, which I, I truly believe our magazine is, it's 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 like it gives an impact, it gives an impression, and and I like to think a positive one. So it's pretty unconventional, but because it was against the tide, because it was different, it allowed us to stand out, and it's given us all those benefits. So what can you do? That's a version of it because. Although it's been really worthwhile for us and we've got all those benefits from it, I don't think our advice is start a print magazine. Probably not, but I think there's two lessons in there that you can that you can take and do something with. The first is doing something that is um, going against a trend. Even if there's something that's unpopular and becoming less popular, there'll still be some people there and the competition won't be there anymore. So you don't have to be like chasing the latest new social media platform everyone's going to be going to be doing that and there's gonna be lots of competition if you are not quite the last person on my space mm. if you are like, if you are like the the last person who is still sending out a physical newsletter in the post or even blogging which is a bit old school or whatever like if you're the last person doing that there will still be people who like that method of being reached and that works for them and the competition's not going to be there because they're going to be chasing the shiny thing the the other aspect of it is that whole the business card part like what can i give someone that's a bit of a ooh that's yeah. different and it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be a magazine but there's got to be other things that you can do to to make an impression maybe it's something it's something that you're when you meet someone you can give them a, a voucher for something or you can invite them to a consultation that normally would cost money but you're doing it for free i don't know but there's got to be things that you can do that just make people go oh that's a bit different yeah even if your business card just looks different it's a different shape i mean it's not going to the lengths we've talked about but just it's different how can you stand out what can you do differently something else we've been unconventional with is starting a forum not starting a forum because that's you know people start forums but we started a forum with no monetization. You don't pay a membership. It's free to join. But there's no adverts to compensate for that. And we don't sell in it. So we've created a forum that we have to maintain. We have someone now full-time who manages that community. So there's a wage behind it, plus the running cost, the other running costs. But you could perceive it to have no benefit in financially. I'd argue that it does, but it seems very unconventional. Yeah, because normally if you're going to do something like that, you'd want to see a return from it. Most people are starting that kind of thing. It's probably going to be that that's part of the business. So I, I charge a membership for this. And that's a, then I, once people are paying a membership for this, I'll try and upsell them into this next thing. But the benefit is it's created a community of people who keep keep on being in our world. And it brings new people into that world. And some of them will go on to be customers and don't give it the hard sell anywhere. There's no adverts for our services in this forum. It's You have to work quite hard to actually find the service, but it just keeps it creates that community. It creates a lot of goodwill and it keeps keep people coming back. You see more companies doing this than you used to. So I can think of um, a lot of tech companies will have forums where they'll really like cultivate the the community. Like Free Trade have done it well, and there's others as well. Monzo, yeah, um, it, but it's still quite unusual. But I'm sure there are other ways that you can create this community and pull people in, even if it's not a forum. Yeah, I mean, you can start a lot smaller. I mean, to launch, if you manage the forum yourself. To get it up and running, if you've got tech knowledge, isn't that difficult? I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's not hard. It's not. It's not beyond the question of you being able to do it. If 
you're slightly tech savvy, you watch some videos, you'll be able to to get something up and running. But then you've got to get people using it. So if you have a ready-made community and you want to provide that service for them and interact that way, then great. If you don't know, a stepping stone towards that is trying to cultivate a community through social media. Um, there are groups. You can set up groups on Facebook or LinkedIn, or you can just contribute in other groups, be part of a community, just get active. But trying to be a major part of an existing community or creating your own I think can bring so much value because it gives you a lot of goodwill because there's another place where we're giving away stuff, but it also then creates more goodwill because people feel oh, I've got a home here. I like interacting with this brand. I like interacting with this company and this feels like a cool place. They're not doing a hard sell or any sell. I'm not being bombarded with adverts. They're just providing this for me. You know, they may not consciously go, so I'm going to feel very positive about the company for that. But they'll just subconsciously like us more because it's there. It's something else that we're giving. Exactly. So a lot of this has been around how we acquire customers, retain customers, keep them happy, things like that. There are other unconventional things we've done as well. One of them was when we um, opened our, our biggest office, which is going to be our HQ, and made the decision to do that a good couple of hundred miles away from where we lived. Why? Yeah, like yourself, I live in the southeast. Most people actually think I live in the north because I am from the north, so I can understand how they jump to that conclusion. Obviously, I did for a long time, and it's a wonderful place, except the weather. But it's got a lot of other great positives. And the office, we do have an office in London, and we have expanded that, and it's another level, in my opinion, now in the way that they're going. Both are important. But at the time, it certainly was the dominant office was in the north, and we chose Manchester. But we chose it for a few reasons. Um, the first was that we do a lot and still do a lot of business in the north. The second reason is that Manchester doesn't feel too much of a compromise. It's an economic powerhouse. It's an absolutely thriving, buzzing city. So in terms of, oh, well, why aren't you in London? It didn't feel like a compromise for that. The compromise was our travel. But in terms of another city based in the north, then Manchester was very easy to, it's very easy for us to, base ourselves there also you know it's not hard from the fact the office space in london and wages in london are just ridiculous and it's hard to hire people in the capital and people are coming and going because it's very transient as a city you know people come and stay and move on and as a business of course you don't mind people coming and going but you do like at least some of them sticking around for a while so there are definitely so many advantages it may seem unconventional to put an office nowhere near where you live but when you, you live in a place that might not be the most optimal place to base yourselves as an office, but you still want to live there, then it becomes maybe not conventional, but l less unconventional. Yeah. So if you look at the benefits and the reasons for doing it is it allowed us to get the talent that we needed to grow the business at a cost that we were comfortable with so in, in london it's not just wages being high but office space is so expensive and so you probably wouldn't be able to build the build the team as large in london because each person costs more um and also in in manchester there is so much talent that it's probably more than anywhere else because of all the universities and everything else so that talent pool of people you want to acquire is there but there's other ways of doing this as well so it's all about putting yourself where where the talent is and giving them what they want. So you could do this by even if you've got an online business, like you can um, hire people who live anywhere. They don't have to be in a particular place. 
you can have have perks or working patterns that appeal to certain people lots of businesses have very successfully grown by um and we did a bit of this as well hiring mums back into the workforce who want flexible hours they want to be able to do the drop off and the pick up and everything else but they've got hours in between that they could use so by crafting your going and putting yourself in that place and crafting the working hours that there aren't conventional but that work for them you've got access to this talent pool that everyone else just overlooks because they're looking for someone who can come in between nine and five so it's a different take on it but it's accomplishing the same thing yeah and you can and you can expand that further you can try you may not think your business can handle this but you could try saying well okay if you run an accountancy practice for example and all the big firms take everyone you can say well i pay the same in in this area but we do a four-day week and you'll probably find that the people will do just as much work maybe in the four days. But maybe if it's not as much, you've still got the person in that you wouldn't be able to get before. There are so many different... It's just being creative. It's like, okay, let's. what's the convention? Well, the convention is to open an office in the most expensive part and, and the most expensive office. And maybe that is the right thing to do. The reason we have an office in London is because for parts of our business, it makes absolute sense for it to be there. But for the other parts of business, it makes no sense. So we didn't. So... Sometimes things are dictated to you or what you must and mustn't do. But most of the time, most of the time, it's not. So you can be creative and you can therefore attract more talent. I completely agree with your point. If we'd stayed in London, we wouldn't be as big as we are now because we would have had to build more cash up to build the bigger office to pay for more wages. The business would be smaller. We've been able to get it to this point by having that base there it may seem very unconventional but it's absolutely worked so the next unconventional thing we've done to grow the business is to turn business away even to the extent of having people who were wanting to give us money or in some cases already given us money and given them their money back and told them to go away why would you do that yeah i'd say that the way of looking at this is we put our team over profit and you have to do this because we've banged on a lot about our team and rightly so because it's an amazing team you can't be one way. You can't say the team is great, but then never back them. So if somebody who engages with our business, a potential client or even a client is really out of order with that team member, you have to stand by them if if that person was really out of order. And it's not, you know, they've had a bad day and they've been a bit grumpy on the phone. Yes, of course, that's not nice. But sometimes in life, you realize that some people have good days and bad days. But if someone's just being really out of order on more than one occasion on several occasions we've said client we think your business is best place elsewhere even though they're giving us money we've said please take your business elsewhere very politely but the reason we've done that is we backed our team we've not said to our team member we'll keep putting up with that because they're paying us and that's really powerful because the team then sees your actions matching what you're saying you know you're saying that the team is the most important thing which it is but then if you don't back the team then you're going against that so it, it's really important it is and you end up making more money in the long run because you retain the best people who will then do the best work that will then and provide the best service that will allow you to do far better and then that that one person who you end up telling to go away is very insignificant in the scheme of things and being selective about who you work with in in general it's a slightly different point but i think it's still important because it's very tempting when you're trying to grow your business to just say yes to everything. Like any kind of customer is a good customer because you just want to grow it as fast as you can. But there are customers who are just wrong for you. Then 
not bad customers, but they're just wrong for you. They're demanding something that you don't quite do. And it's tempting to tweak your product offering to try to serve them because they're there. But actually, you should have just stuck to your guns. Or there are other people who are just too demanding or they're just they're going to take up too much of your focus because they're too big. And that's the hardest thing to turn away of all. But if you can do that and you can very clearly define about what you do, it seems like the growth isn't going to be as fast. And maybe it's not, but it will be more sustainable kind of growth that will eventually get you further on. Yeah. And another way we've demonstrated those beliefs or values is that when furlough was introduced to some of our team members, we kept as many as we could on. And we only probably furloughed about 20 to 25% of the team at any one point. And then those that were furloughed were paid 100%. Now, was that because we were making bags of money last year? No, far from it. It was a tough financial year. And we could have made that a better year financially if we'd just gone, well, the numbers are the most important thing here. But actually, you have to be a human and you have to say, no, team, we back you. We can find a way to take this hit we will continue to pay you in full because that's the more important thing to do. So you've got to take the short-term view and don't, well, just make more money. And last year we would have made more money, but your point stands, Rob. I understand some businesses didn't have a choice, but there are others that had the choice and chose to put profit first. We had a choice, make it a bit harder for ourselves, but back the team or make it easier for ourselves, but the team have to struggle or potentially struggle. Obviously, we don't know the finances of each individual, but it was an easy decision. It wasn't even that it wasn't even a... A conversation it was like well we're going to do this like this is clearly what you do and again it's the making sure that your accent actions match your message and if it does then people will stick around longer the culture is stronger and people respect the you know the place that they work because they know that they have great intentions to do great things and they might not always do get things right but as long as the intentions are good and most of the actions reflect that then it makes it a better place to work i've talked about backing the team and that is super important but sometimes and when you go through the hiring process talked about that a lot and how important it is you can do it really well but you're never going to get it spot on and another unconventional thing we've done is ask team members to move on because they're not the right fit and doing it at a really inconvenient time like if you're really stretched which as a growing business you often are asking somebody to to leave when you are that busy it just seems it seems like a difficult thing to do and it is because it means it's everyone else is more busy and unless the person is like literally beating people up you could always make excuses for it and go oh well it's fine and we'll just put up for it for now deal with it later when we're less busy but you're never less busy at some point you just have to take the pain even if it does hold back your growth temporarily yeah we've parted ways with people who've been really important and haven't been, had anyone logically to replace them straight away We've also, where uh, we've had high performers that have had to go, and that's because they've not been a values fit. And, and, you know, not, I'm not saying those people are bad people, it's just your values, and they are jarring to other people within the business. And again, it's important that you uphold your values and that you say, okay, if you talk about values a lot, but and then someone goes against them on a regular basis, then your values are worthless. You know, it's just all talk. It's, ma again, matching your actions. And, and, this is really easy to implement when you run a business, you know, for people who are looking at this and going, well, how can I take this unconventional thing on? But the last two points, it's like, well, put people first is not that hard. Like, just realize that money isn't going to make you that much happier. As long as it doesn't end your business, then it doesn't matter if some years aren't quite as good as they could be. Because overall, if your team is a high-performing, happy team, you're, in the long term, you're going to be rewarded. And it's the same with the values. 
the long term you're going to be rewarded. So actually, although this seems very unconventional for a, a business to do these things, I actually think it's the no-brainer thing to do. It's actually really easy. Yeah. I think if we sort of take these eight things and summarize them, I think there there are two main themes that come up. One of them is about doing something that is different, not just doing the same thing as everyone else, finding a unique angle, finding something where it seems like maybe it shouldn't work. It's it's not the received wisdom and doing something to help you stand out. The other theme is looking at the long term, doing things that are going to slow you down in the short term because it's going to get you to where you want to go in the long term. So it's about being a bit different and taking a long-term view. And both of those things can be uncomfortable and difficult to do. But when you understand the, the reasons behind them and the value that they bring, then you just have to challenge yourself to do those things. Even if it's not easy, it's far more comfortable to take the money now because it's there and it might not be tomorrow. Or it's far more comfortable to go, well, I'll go and use this method of getting customers because it's what everyone else does. So if it, even if it doesn't work, I'm not going to feel silly because I was just doing what everyone else did. But if you can really internalize the principles behind that, then you don't have to do these exact things. But you can use those ideas to go out and try all these other things that are not all going to work but a good number of them will. I'd take that further and say that if you don't try it, I, I think you might not be successful. If you just copy a very traditional operation elsewhere, well, they've got so many advantages against you from day one that it's probably not going to work. You might be lucky and the market might be really strong and you happen to be the second player into the market, then maybe, maybe that'll work. But in most cases, if you're small and you're copying someone bigger and doing everything the same, then they're always going to be bigger they're, and you're not going to compete. And you might not even work as a business. When I started and I was trying different things, at the beginning it was carbon copies of what I'd seen before. And then when I started to do unconventional things like podcasting with you, for example, things started to improve. And then it was like, okay, well, let's try more of this. And things improved even further. I think the, the key to unlocking growth in a business is finding the unconventional things testing them accepting that some won't work but when it does work use it and, and then try something else be brave well sometimes in business you have to be brave but you don't have to be too brave or unconventional to follow and subscribe to any other business wherever you're watching or listening